12 to 1 with Adrian Abraham on Money FM 89.3. It's Money FM 89.3, and today I have a very special guest on the show, chef and restaurateur Violet Oud. Great having you on Money FM. How are you? All right, thank you. Lovely to be here on your show. Now, Violet, it's an absolute pleasure to be speaking to you, but I feel that. You know, we'll talk about the Singapore National Stroke Association in just a bit and talk about the food that I've just tasted. But I feel it's only fair to go down memory lane. Who inspired you to start cooking professionally? Actually, I don't say I cook professionally. What happens? I'm a journalist, actually. 1971, in the newspaper. I was an art and music critic. And then in about 74, my editor, David Kroll, said, I think we better have somebody who can cook to write about food. I, start, I was inspired as a teenager because my mother did not cook. And I was in England at the age of 11 to 13, 1961 to 63. And I missed our food with a passion. It didn't fly back in those days. And it's like um, when I came back, I realized that I'm Peranakan and there were no restaurants serving Peranakan food. And if I didn't learn it, how was I going to eat this food? And my aunts were no more around, right? So I asked my aunts, can you teach me? And I used to see them cooking. I was about 16 then in school. And then I learned how to measure at once, you know, like I, I can see what people are throwing in and then I'll go back and measure and cook it. That's how I got started. My grand aunt called Auntie Nanny and my aunt called Auntie Nona. But being Pranakan, you know, your parents make you, if you learn to dance, you must dance for people. If you learn to sing, you must sing for people. If you learn to cook, you must cook for people. So I used to entertain at home, my parents used to cook. And I lived very near Times House, where I worked in the newspaper. And we used to have people coming for dinner and lunch, you know, colleagues. So the editor said, I think our music, our food critic should be able to cook. I was a music critic because I sang. I mean, classical singer. And that's how I started. And I think what was so fascinating as a journalist then with no social media is that you actually provide the window to the world for your reader. And what window are you going to provide? Then I realized that chefs would teach me if I asked them. I said, can you show me how to cook? And I would go to different restaurants and different well-known chefs. And even I went to Paris to learn from a very famous pastry chef called Gaston Lanotte. And I thought, hey, why don't I share this with my readers? And so I started, I didn't only do food critique, I shared recipes and I cooked. So I was, my apprenticeship was in many, many, many different kitchens. And then you learn, I did sociology and political science, and you learn culturally what it means, the difference of the foods, you know. So I think I approached my food criticism more from the point of view of what is this about your life? What is this? What does it tell you about yourself? For example, you know, the Portuguese that traveled from, you know, Goa to, you know, and went around, the, you know, to Malacca and Singapore and Macau. There's something called love cake in Sri Lanka. And there's a similar cake in, you know, in Myanmar. And here we call it suji cake. And then Macau is something similar. So actually, I tell people that what you eat on your dining table is the history of your family. Have you traveled? Where do you come from? You know, and I love this book by Agatha Christie when she wrote about her husband, the archaeologist. And it's called, Tell Me How You Live. And to me, food is telling me how you live. I know it doesn't answer how you... And I think professionally what happens is that as a journalist, you are so excited about what's coming next. You know, what's the next story? And it morphed into me cooking, teaching cooking, having restaurants, sharing my love of Singapore food. You know, it's not even love, it's just, wow, it's so fun. You know, with journalists from around the world. Then I became Singapore's food ambassador. I would promote Singapore food abroad. Does that answer your question? It's <laughs> a very long answer. Yes, it yeah, does. Yeah. I mean, you've worn so many <laughs> yeah. hats, you know. Did you yeah. ever see yourself 
you know, when you were yeah. growing up yeah. to be this successful with your cooking? Nobody saw me. You ask my school teachers, anybody, I used to hate cooking. The first thing you learn in school was making rock buns and then you can kill somebody with it. You know, you can throw and kill it. We get domestic science classes. I think part of being a journalist is that, you know, you're always looking for the next story, the next excitement, you know, and people ask me, what's your favourite food? I said my next meal, you know. I'm waiting to be excited. I'm waiting to be surprised. I'm waiting for, wow, what's coming round the corner. I don't see it as successful. I see it as, you know, sharing. And then in the sharing, people seem to be motivated or excited. You know, that's what's exciting for me. Now, of course, we have to talk about the Singapore mm. National Stroke Association, an association which is very close to your mm -hmm. heart. Now, you had a stroke a few years ago and you've recovered from it. How much has your life changed since that incident? I had a stroke six years ago. I was in hospital for five weeks. You have to relearn to walk. And, you know, people say about the new normal and not. To me, it's normal, you know. Every day is normal. It's just what's come. You know, so it's like not so much how much my life has changed. But I think what's important is that I now understand people who are challenged mentally and physically. So when I'm doing community work, I understand what it means when a person is mentally challenged and, you know, slower learner. And what it learns, it means to have like a burnout or what it means because I have actually experienced it. And to me, that is a learning that is so important. And I understand when people like, you know, you can't take it anymore because in a way your stroke, your mind reflects what your body is. I think a lot of people are under stress without realising, you know, it doesn't manifest itself. And it's changed in that I never did sports in the first place, you know. <laughs> I have to walk slowly. I don't reflect on the change, you know. It's just that, okay, then what's, what am I going to do next? But I think what's changed is my perspective. It's very important that you understand people who are challenged mentally, people who are challenged physically, what it means to be not able to run, or, you know, and that's important to me. And tell us more about the recipe contribution. You know, you prepared three yeah. dishes today out of the four. Why did you choose these recipes in particular? Okay, I was asked uh, by the National Stroke Association, Singapore, whether I would do these videos to uh, celebrate World Stroke Day. And I said yes. And then I thought, okay, what would impact? What would make a difference, you know? And when you have a stroke, anybody anyway is supposed to eat less salt, less sugar, less oil in a daily diet. I'm talking about eating at home every day, you know? And it's very challenging. And, but to me, first of all, food has to look beautiful, you know? And I think when I did, I thought I'd do the Korean pancake because people travel, you know? And Korea is such a hit, such, such a culture with everybody and the Korean food. And I thought that's nice because it's put so many vegetables in, so many colours, which is good for us as a normal human being, you know. And then it's got this quite fun chilli sauce, which is so simple. It's actually chilli powder, Korean chilli powder, vinegar and soy sauce. So I wanted as simple as possible that people at home can cook. And, you know, we travel, we, we are so in love with Korean culture. And I decided to do an Indian dish because when I find that Indian food, if cooked properly, is very healthy and very tasty. You know, you get the natural flavours from spices and the vegetables and the cumin and, and you know, and, and the coriander and the chilli powder. And people don't realise it's actually roughage. It's not like some Western food where you thicken with flour. In Asian and Indian food, you thicken with actual roughage, with actual ingredients. And I thought that's, you know, and that the brinjal I, f I find quite fun. I, I love brinjal. And then something Italian, because Italian is so popular, you know, a bean salad. And you, you can, you know, make it ahead and it's like nutritious. You add this tuna and you have basil leaf, you know, you saw me, you break it on the spot. And that adds the magic to the dish, right? And finally, they asked me, would I do some porridge puree? Because people who have strokes have difficulty swallowing. So I did a fish porridge, but I pureed with a lot of flavour from ikan bilis and seafood, you know. 
and then you strain it and with a vegetable stock. And then I, I pureed uh, carrot and broccoli and put it last moment. And then I sort of pureed fish to go with it, you know, and then we, you sort of garnish with deep fried shallots, which you don't have to eat, but it's nice to look at, you know. That's how I created the four recipes. We're in conversation with Violet Oon. She's a chef and restaurateur, a household name here in Singapore when we talk about culinary. Now, apart from eating healthier, what other changes did you make to your lifestyle after the stroke? I tried to exercise, which I'm not very good at. I tried to sleep more regularly, which I'm also not very good at. You know, most people, I'm a night person, so I try to sleep earlier. I love the circuit breaker, you know, because, you know, you have a very zen life. I did a lot of things. I think a lot of us are just in a frenzy, right? And then we're putting up things that are personal. So my personal thing was to make, to sew a tapestry for the longest time, 50, and I did it, you know, and, and I actually finished it. And so you must have personal goals, which may tie in with your career goals, but they may not. It's okay, you know what I'm saying? You, you should just go for your personal goals as well. Why was the recipe contribution on your bucket list of seven things to do for your 70th birthday? Okay, I'm now 71. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I turned 70 last year, last May, on May the 5th in 2019. And then on the same week, I was awarded the Lifetime Achievement for Outstanding Contribution to Tourism by the Singapore Tourism Board. And that's so humbling and to me so amazing. I was wondering, what on earth am I getting this for? I said, are you sure? They said, yes. Then I thought, you know, you have to do something to deserve it after you get it. And I thought, okay, I'll do one community project for one decade of my life uh, within my 70th year. Because of the circuit breaker, I, I sort of missed the deadline, but I finished the whole bucket list. Of course, I think when you want to do a community project, you should do something which is what you are best at because your talent adds value. So I wouldn't go and read to a person, for example, because that time I could add value something else. So it's to do with food. So I did something for the community chess and I did something last October which I loved. And um, instead of having four hands or six hands as chef, it's still about the chef. I said I'll get a group of pastry chefs together and we should teach. Each one should create a dessert that would teach to association of persons especially. They are trainers, you know, trainees who are teenagers up to 30 years old. They have special needs but they're training to be pastry, you know, working in pastry kitchen and I've been to the training school. And then I said, each of us should create one. And for this donor's dinner for community chess, we should present a plate cooked by, you know, the APSN trainees. And then it was a lot of work. And, you know, I had to persuade everybody to find the time to go and teach them. And then their trainer, chef, is very good to make them learn. And they were so excited because I said, they have to be at the istana presenting the dish itself and they have to decorate it. And one of them kept on saying, I'm so excited. I'm cooking for the president of Singapore, you know. And he said so many times. So to us, it's like, it was so lovely and touching because there were 13 trainees and each one carried a plate and served the VIP table. And I think when you are a parent of a child with special needs, the greatest fear is what, how are they going to earn a living? What's going to happen when they grow up? And I wanted to do community projects which showcase that is it possible for them to do something? So this is, you know, this is baking and, you know, get jobs. And then I did something with Cerebral Palsy Association and, you know, they did some artwork. Why don't we make it into scarves? We shouldn't do a charity project and give money because we feel charitable. That person has to feel they have actually got value in the workplace. So I say, why do you, you know, can we make so this next project? We make scarves and it's sold and, you know, I mean, it could be Picasso, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at the, 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 I mean, it could be Picasso and why not, right? So I think things like that are important because, you know, you have to think of the parents as well. 
Now, you know, just out of uh, curiosity, what else was on this bucket list? If you could just share a few of them. Okay, I did organize a lunch for girls in, in a girl's home who were abused uh, with my classmates, you know, and we actually went there and did it. And I was quite happy with the lunch because we gave them things which they created themselves. So there was a sandwich corner, they could make your own. And there was a quick pie tea. Because I was thinking that these girls were in this home because they were not in control of their lives, right? So I would wanted them to control their food. That we are not imposing, they can make what they want. So I and they were so happy. They made their own sort of lunch. And then that's one of them. And I did comedy chess, I did for SGI to raise funds for Make a Wish. We filmed here two recipes, Nyonya recipes for the students. That was quite fun. So a few more. I did this National Day ebook, cooking book, and we filmed it as well. So all food related. I guess that is natural to you now. Finally, what keeps you, you know, motivated and keep going, having been in this profession for so long? What motivates you? I think I'm so lucky and so blessed to be still excited every morning. That's like, okay, what next? You know, okay, should I try this? Can I try something else? And then if you feel too bad, like, you know, because I think creative people, and I think a journalist is a creative person, is in your DNA for failure. Because let's say you make a hit movie, right? Earning 200 million. The next movie could bomb, you know? So that creative person is so used to, maybe my next thing will fail, but doesn't matter. Let's try something else, you know? So I think that is a very good training, you know, when, when you're a creative person, to be thinking that failure is part of the whole process. One project works, it doesn't, doesn't work, the, the next one works, you know? And I think I'm still very excited to do what next. Well, thank you, Violet, so much for your time and opening up your house for this interview and to try some of your dishes for the Singapore National Stroke Association. I wish you the best for your future endeavours and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you.